0: Hello and welcome to What a Picture, a movie podcast where we go through the sight and sound greatest films of all time critics pull week by week and discuss what makes a great film great. I am Brian.
1: I am Hannah. Are we going to do something today?
0: We're going to do the right thing. (laughs) Do the right thing, Mookie.
1: Do the right Uh, thing,
0: Mookie. We're talking about do the right thing. The It's a movie. Wonderful, wonderful Spike Lee movie. Yeah. I already love this movie. I found like 10, 15 more things to love this time through. Yeah. Um. But before we get into some of the things that we love about this movie, why don't you hit me with that plot summary, Hannah? That
1: sweet, sweet plot summary. Mm. All right. It is the hottest day of the summer in Brooklyn, and Mookie is working at Sal's Pizzeria. Buggin' out, a friend of Mookie's, questions the owner Sal about his quote wall of fame, which doesn't feature any picture of black pictures of black celebrities, despite Sal's clientele being entirely black. When Sal refuses to change the wall of fame, Buggin' out decides to organize a boycott of Sal's. The only people Buggin' manages to convince to join the boycott are Smiley, a man with a stutter selling pictures, and Radio Rahim, who carries a jukebox with him everywhere he goes. The three men confront Sal in his pizzeria that night, and Radio Rahim uh, refuses to turn off his jukebox, so Sal smashes it with a baseball bat. Radio Rahim then drags Sal out into the street Choking him, and a ca- uh, crowd gathers. The police arrive, arrest Buggin out, and restrain Radio Rahim in a chokehold until he dies. Uh, after the police leave, tension is high, and Mookie takes a trash can and throws it through the window of Sal's pizzeria, inciting a riot where the pizzeria is trashed and burned down. The police return to extinguish the fire before turning the hoses on the rioters. Smiley hangs a picture of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X on Sal's badly burned wall of fame. The next morning, Mookie returns to the pizzeria to collect his last paycheck from Sal.
0: know you did a great job with that poorly written plot summary that I definitely wrote while watching our kids. And so there were uh, some typos and things in there.
1: (laughs) You know, just correcting grammar on the fly. You know how I be.
0: Very impressive. Thank you. Thank you um yeah so that is sort of the structure of this movie obviously a lot left out here some whole like big characters left out but that's the the meat of the movie i would say yeah um and we'll get into uh all of the characters as we go here Mm -hmm. but first of all hannah what were your thoughts uh revisiting this movie
1: oh i love this movie I think it is so, um, angry, (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but, um, not in like a way that is off putting, (laughs) I don't know. There's, there's something like the, the emotion in this movie is loud and it's bright, Mm -hmm. um, and captivating I love the breaking the fourth wall I love the like intense zoom ins on the characters I love the ranting and the and the kind of just cuts to different types of like storytelling I yeah this movie Mm -hmm. is so fascinating I love it
0: yeah there's a lot of really interesting stuff filmmaking wise The anger is interesting because it also is, like, heavily stylized and very, like, fun in some ways. Yeah. Um, Particularly in, you know, the first two-thirds of the movie. Um, But then, yeah, it it does have this, like, sort of righteous anger to it that's very targeted and... um, knows sort of precisely what it wants to say mm-hmm. uh, in a way that's really compelling. So, um, and so, yeah, I, I adore this movie. I think it's absolutely a masterpiece and I'm excited to get into some of the things that I really responded to most of which are sort of character related here. So I thought we mm-hmm. could sort of go character by character and, and get into the meat of the movie. So, yeah, um, if we start with Mookie here, Mookie is sort of our central character, played by Spike Lee. Um, what do you he's think? He's so of Mookie cute and tiny. Movie? Yeah, <laughs> he's so
1: young. Yeah. I every time I watch it, I forget that it's played by Spike Lee. I mean, I've seen this yeah. twice, but yeah. I knew it was him. And I'm like, oh yeah, the little baby. Like he's, <laughs> um, I mean, he's just a kid like this yeah. I, he's just trying to like be a kid in so many ways and he's not trying to be like political he's not trying to be um it's kind of like a reluctant the 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 hero-ness or the leader role is kind of put on him um yeah yeah
0: He's just, like, trying to survive. He's trying to convince Bugging Out not to uh, cause a scene early in the movie.
1: He's trying to keep um, his sister safe. Yeah. He's trying to not piss off his the mother of his child. He's just trying to, like, yeah, get through the hottest day of the summer mm-hmm. in, a, in a straight job selling or delivering pizza. Like, it's, and yeah, mm-hmm. love it.
0: Yeah, and then there's also some stuff where, like, the character is shown to not be great. Um, particularly in the way that he treats uh, Tina Um, and yeah, just some uh, uh, there he's, he's got a lot of other characters calling him out for behavior throughout the movie Um, in a way that like, he's sort of our, he's the person that you're meant to identify with, but, Spike Lee um, is not afraid to criticize some of the behaviors he sees as well. Absolutely. Um, so that's uh, that's always a mark of a, a well thought out movie, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree um, that like your characters all have flaws, and if you, especially if you want like who they are to resonate with people, you can't only show the good. Not everybody has mm-hmm. to be tortured. Not everybody has to have like a CD past or have overcome things. But like believable characters who make an impact are ones who are shown not just through like a single lens of a single type of way a person can be. It needs to be broad. So I always appreciate when like, yeah, a person is just a believable person. Yep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely the case with uh, Mookie. I saw, so I read after we watched this, we have the uh, Criterion Edition that has this like real thick booklet that has basically director's notes from Spike. He kept a journal while he was writing and filming this movie. So cool. And so I read through some of that and he talks about in there like, in the early stages of planning like yeah, I'm probably gonna play a character I've played characters in my previous movies and I understand my limitations as an actor he says but I've got something that seems to resonate with people so I should probably be in it as well And I think it's interesting it's especially in these early spikely, movies that he acts in them as well and then he sort of goes away from that I think once he's enough of a name brand as a director which really this movie does for him mm-hmm. then he's like ah, I don't really want to act anymore and he starts teaming up with Denzel which sort of gives him that that star power actor that that he's sort of looking for uh, um, yeah so that's always good um, how about this uh this Italian family here? We've got Sal, Vito, and Pino. Um, Vito and Pino being Sal's sons. What do you think of them?
1: Um Yeah. I think so. I'll I'll can I can I tangent to mm-hmm. one of my like what I thought was the most interesting um parts of the movie is when you kind of have these to-the-camera monologues of people kind of representing their race or power group within this, um, this neighborhood. So you've got like yes. a, a, a black person, a Korean immigrant, an Italian person, a cop, and they're all just at the camera ranting about a not a different people group race religion whichever who are also represented in the community um but every single one of these people save for the cop are minorities or people who have been like um uh societally or economically or racially oppressed but they're ranting about another group that is societally or economically yeah. or racially oppressed and it's kind of like the scarcity mentality of you know we don't have anything and there's these other people who don't have anything and there's they who's taking things from us um mm-hmm. and so i think for for sal's family they you know are running an honest business but they're not innately doing anything wrong but there's just this like latent frustration um that bugging out actually calls out in, you know, all your customers are black people. And so for them, I am, I mean, I'm I'm pretty certain that Sal's pizzeria would prefer to be selling to Italians, would prefer to be selling to white people, would prefer to have Mm -hmm. the people, you know, even though they're making money, they're the only people to shop on the block. Like they're not hurting too badly, but they would rather be dealing with their people and so there's just this like constant frustration among these people, and you see it more in whichever one of the sons is the loud one. Which is the loud one?
0: So that would be Pinot. Yeah, Pinot. Yeah, he's, by he's John Torturo. Yes,
1: yeah. he's the he's the firecracker. So he is obviously like the most outwardly frustrated with the situation.
0: Yeah, but I think most there's... outwardly racist.
1: Yeah, outwardly, like, yes, outright racist. Um, And also, like, letting his racism and his frustration be just very apparent. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think Sal experiences it, too, but with a little bit more resignation. Um,
0: Yes. The conversation between Sal and Pino, where Pino's trying to convince Sal, like, we need to move out of this neighborhood, basically. And, you know, this is not what I want to inherit sort of thing. And Sal is... Defending his clientele, but still in a racist way yeah, is just very revealing of, like, the different kinds of racism you can have of, like, there's the they disagree, but they're both being racist. Right, right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, it's very perceptive in that way. And Sal does a better job of hiding his racism because... He wants things from black people. He wants like, them to be his clients. He wants to have a successful business. He doesn't think that he's being racist. I don't think, but he sees them as objects to be profited from. Ultimately, to modify. Yeah.
1: It makes me think of in Ali, Fear Eats the Soul when the um the one market owner grocer didn't want to sell to um Mm -hmm. sorry i don't remember their names uh to ali and so his wife you know the white woman is like well i'm not Mm -hmm. shopping there anymore and the shop owner literally says something along the lines of like i have to hide my feelings about this because i'm losing business
2: like Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) they're the 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 amount of just like i have to swallow because I, th- I mean, there's, you know, surely like if you're a brand and you want, you know, a certain type of person shopping your brand or whatever, yeah. uh, particularly if you're wanting to put forth like luxury or coolness, right? But his is just like, he's just selling pizza and sure he would rather sell to white people, but the neighborhood is full of black people and that's, he just has to grin and bear it that. Not who his clients are, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's, he probably doesn't really think like, is this racist? He just kind of mm-hmm. is resigned to these less than ideal in his perspective circumstances. And yes, that's that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> certainly. And then you've got the veto and, Pino stuff which is sort of fun of you know being like the the younger brother who needs to stand up for himself a little bit and then Mookie tries to like egg him on and get him to to stand up to Pino and yeah so I like that stuff and the little sort of family dynamic there's so many just
1: little offshoots to focus on
0: exactly the the range of each character gets something interesting, and that means that something interesting is always going on on the screen at any but given it, moment.
1: But it doesn't feel like anybody's storyline is, is left underdeveloped. Mm-hmm. Like everything could be, I mean, this could be a mini series, like a euphoria you haven't watched Euphoria, yeah. but the Euphoria style where like every episode is about a different character within this group of people. Um yep. and kind of zero is another I guess. I mean, a lot of shows do that. Euphoria was just the first one I thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, every storyline, every character is developed enough where you're like, Okay, I see their role in this little mini society. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not they're not just there to move the plot along, um, which I like, but it it also like you you can let your mind continue to wander of like, what could this person be like, you know, Mm -hmm. which is great.
0: Yeah, I think it really is a wonder of editing the way that this is cut together so that every moment matters. And one of the cool things about reading that booklet of uh Spike's sort of director's notes through the process was seeing him come up with ideas in real time and mm. all of the good ideas end up in the movie, but he has several bad ideas throughout that he sort of weeds out through the process, like he was considering <laughs> some sort of like addiction storyline, which I feel like would probably detract from what this movie is trying to do because it's just going in such a different direction. Um and so to see him like edit himself in real time, he was also considering like including some characters from previous movies and he rules that out sort of early on. So he's the way his mind works of constantly refining, tweaking, making better, um, really just packs this thing so full by the end of it that I yeah, it's it's really masterful um and then the last sequence of course is masterfully masterfully edited and and put together but we'll get into that in a bit (laughs) um so de Mayer and mother sister i thought we could talk about sort of together because they interact with each other uh quite a bit here and they're sort of the older statesmen of of the block what do you think of their characters
1: I love this. The just the bright wet red wall in the background first of all. Like let's just mm-hmm. the like the I there's something about, I know I'm tangenting it. Ten, tangenting?
0: Tangenting. Taking
1: a tangential course. Yes. I don't know if I don't know if a tangent can be a verb, but I'm tangenting. Um, mm-hmm. every time you ask me about the thing that you is in the outline and you told me you'd ask about, but I'm just gonna go off on another way. Go for it. The, the colors in this movie, it's like mm-hmm. gritty and dirty, but bright. Like you can tell mm-hmm. it's hot outside, and you can tell it's like dirty and lower income and I I can't, but it's just, it's gorgeous. It's so pretty. Um. Yeah. Like you walk around a city in the summer and you like, you're like, yeah, yeah. Like it's like gray concrete and all these murals on the wall. And it's like the haze of heat and sweat changes the color of things. And, and anyway, so beautiful. The three men in front of the red wall, um, gorgeous and i'm trying to there was one like they just speak in metaphor um so much and i'm blanking on the one that i turned to you and thought was so funny um but there's just like so many little 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 quippy sayings they say and there you can tell that they just like sit there and drink and shit talk all the live long day yeah and there's no beginning and no end to this cycle for these men and, and i think that like what am again i'm extrapolating but in my head like what these men experience is one of their most intimate friendships of just like mm-hmm. sitting and drinking and talking and being known as the staple in front of the red wall of these like these 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 neighborhood elders anyway
0: yeah. they're just on the corner constantly yeah they're just yeah. there.
1: I love that mm-hmm. because they were once Mookie and Radio Rahim and Bugging Out. Like they were yeah. once the youths of the neighborhood who, um, you know, lived through the sixties and mm-hmm. you know, like lived through a different era of um, of of, of racial struggles, um, racial advancement, racial kind of like living through being um, kind of existing in, in the, their oppressed society, perhaps making stands for it, perhaps just existing in it. But now it's like, I don't know. I, 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 I like the generational aspect of this. I think that there's something really powerful, particularly to a, a neighborhood where we just see so many glimpses of different types of life that exist within this neighborhood.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, so de DeMayer being the, um, neighborhood drunk is, and like asking a kid to go buy him alcohol, but then you get hints that like, that his, there's some depth to his story of like the mm-hmm. things that he's been through and, um, and he has some conversations. The interactions with mother-sister are consistently good. He gets a lot more screen time uh, than I was remembering. I guess he makes a little less of an impression than the other characters. But I do think his stuff is good. And like you were saying, having some older presences here, I think is helpful. Well, um, when he
1: saves that the kid from getting hit by the car and mm-hmm. just like the kindness that comes out of him the warmth that comes out of him like yeah you know he has to sternly talk to the boy because he's tried to run out into the you know but Mm -hmm. there's just this like very very much of a fatherly type affection that he has for this random kid in the neighborhood and it's almost like he sees himself despite his flaws, despite his drunkenness, despite his womanizing, like he sees himself as an a a guardian or an elder of the neighborhood. Yeah. Um and I just loved that like the sweetness with which he appropriately disciplines someone else's child, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I loved it. Yeah, that is a another really good sequence. Yeah. Him saving the kid is great. Um. Um let's get into Radio Rahim here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tearjerker. So, yeah. Radio Rahim, this is where I notice a lot of the inner workings of the movie of how Radio Rahim is presented to you throughout the movie is very intentional. Mm. Um He's always shot to look imposing. We're always like looking up at him, yeah. In a very like, he's he's shot to look menacing. You know, he has the the love and hate things on his hand. That's a reference to, um, Knight of the Hunter,
2: hey, um,
0: which you know that character is just straight up evil. Radio Rahim does basically the same speech, but it's very, uh, um. It's much more like inspirational and sweet the way he does it, but still a lot of the signifiers, a lot of the film language is meant to indicate that Radio Rickem is a threat throughout this. And then we get at the end here, the sequence of he ends up choking Sal And so it feels like the film has built to that, but it's really just to maximize the shock value of what happens to Radio Rahim. of like, you're not expecting him to be, the film has been telling you he's a threat, he's a threat, he's a threat. And then for him to be killed and to become the victim here is, um, is really shocking. Um, and so I think it's, it's meant almost to trick you (laughs) in a way of, and, and challenge your assumptions and use like the, Spike is very aware that the way that black people have been portrayed in film history has been Mm -hmm. racist. And he has like this, uh, in movie called Bamboozled, he does this, like, montage of all of the ways that Black people have been depicted in film throughout history. So, like, he, he knows what he's talking about, and he's using some of that almost racist film language to tell the audience, like, Radio Raheem is a threat, and then he inverts that and makes Radio Raheem the victim. And yeah. I think that's what what makes it work so well? Um, so, yeah, I think it's a brilliant, brilliant way of challenging our assumptions.
1: Absolutely. I think even independently of how Black people are portrayed in film, um, I mean, Black Black bodies are were, are, whether we realize it or not, like historically they've been limited to... Black people have been limited to what their bodies can do right whether it's mm-hmm. through physical labor um you know forced labor whether it's through uh playing sports whether it's whether it's through all these things they're they're mm-hmm. they're either valued or they're feared because of what their bodies can do um and, and so it's the whole this whole movie, I mean, Radio Rahim is he's there. He's part of the neighborhood, but he's quiet. He's the sweet mm-hmm. one who just wants his boombox. Like he's yeah. a big guy, but that's not his he's just a big guy. Yeah. Um but the camera shows you him how society views large black men. They show you him as imposing. And so when he is ultimately murdered by the police it's because the police are fear him because of his because he's just a large black man because of what they assume his body can and will do um okay. so it, it it's it's like we are primed to like you said that it, it's we're primed to view what his body is and is for based on how he's he's shot and and that is so much of how even though i don't know it's like even though he's shot that way the way he actually acts despite being shot in such an imposing way. His actions are complex and calm and kind and greater than just what his body is physically capable of or what his body could be used for. Um,
2: Yep. It's,
1: yeah, it's, it's heartbreaking. I, I remember the first time I watched this, I, I didn't know like what it was about, what to expect. Um, I mean, I you know it's pretty easy to catch on with what the story is and kind of knowing I'd seen um mm-hmm. or how much Spike Lee, but like I I, I had an idea. I didn't yeah. think it would be as bold to do an outright like police murder in front of a street full of people, you know. Um, yeah. but this one hit me. I think they could have killed anybody else and it wouldn't have been a sad. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> I
1: mean, it would have been sad, but not as sad, you know.
0: Yeah, it does. I also like that. So Sal sort of takes the first um, action beyond yelling and smashing Radio Raheem's jukebox. Radio Raheem is choking Sal violently here, sure. and so we're we're not given an easy like. We're not given an easy moral out of like, oh, clearly this person is right or clearly this person is wrong. We're meant to struggle with like when black people do bad things, what happens to them and bad actions don't necessarily what what is a response what is a response that you can take and, and why does radio raheem end up dead and Sal not end up dead here?
1: Yeah and like <laughs> Sal smash Radio Raheem's jukebox. Mm-hmm. Raheem Rahim tried to choke Sal. Like one of those is a more a greater offense than the others. Mm-hmm. And all the cops saw were was what they could have justified mm-hmm. as attempted murder. Like the the Yeah. The cops were supposed to pull Rahim off and were supposed to, were supposed to disperse the fight. They did the right thing up until they started killing him. Yeah. They did the right thing until their Mm, innately racist because they're cops, instincts yeah. took over and decided that they needed to fully control his body. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, knew what I mean. It might have been an accident, but they also knew that they went past the point of when they should have stopped.
0: Yes, and people yeah. are saying, you know, the crowd is saying, like, stop! You're killing him.
1: And he's saying, I can't breathe. Yeah, yeah. and it's like
0: so. Yeah, Yeah. I like that it isn't tidy. Ultimately, I think is is what I'm trying to say because life isn't ultimately tidy. Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, Um, good stuff with Radio Rahim. Good stuff. All right, what about bugging out? What do you think of bugging out?
1: I loved him. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think like (laughs) every (laughs) friend group has like the aggressively political one. The where, guy like,
0: who will not stand for the small injustices that are done yes. to him. <laughs> yes. And like,
1: and it's, it's just so fun and funny. And mm-hmm. I love that he's there. I love that he exists. Um, And, and just <laughs> the one scene where the, um, the, the like new person, the, the, the gentrifier yeah. on the bike yeah. scuffs his shoes and, um, he just like kind of trolls him. Like he's upset. I mean, the shoes are expensive. Like that's a big deal to him. But also just like over the top. I thought it was so funny. <laughs> it's um,
0: really funny. Yeah. <laughs> the way
1: he's just in your face. The way that the people behind him were like kind of egging him on. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. I, <laughs> I, yeah. I think he's great. And so when fi- people are finally like going to. Go along with him, and he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> mm-hmm. He's just like waiting for indignation constantly, and when it's yeah. finally received and magnified, he's like, "Oh yeah, let's go, let's do this thing."
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, the the scene with him and Jade, uh, Mookie's sister, where mm-hmm. Jade sort of dismantles his boycott idea is yeah. really funny too. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um. Yeah. So I I like a mostly humorous, but ultimately does like is sort of the instigator of the the events here. Yeah. Um so yeah, it's uh it's a good character played by Giancarlo X Esposito, which is really funny. Um, I know.
1: Every time I'm always like, Is it?
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> so fun.
0: Yeah, so um it's a fun early role for him. Mm-hmm. We've got Tina, who's Mookie's girlfriend, um, and uh, baby mama.
1: Yes, oh my gosh, she is phenomenal. I am a, just using her in those opening credits, just fully mm-hmm. going all out, dancing her hardest is so mm-hmm. captivating. Um the way that like in it, 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 she does the same routine a couple different times in different lighting and different outfits, and how they're spliced together like music video style, um, mm-hmm. is uh,
0: really so iconic. Opening one of my yeah. favorite parts of this movie. Oh, it's um, fa-
1: fabulous! And uh, how um, it's her name in the title cards is like presenting hmm
0: um yeah uh, this is our uh, first uh screen role
1: oh my gosh i'm blanking uh
0: actress's name yes rosie perez
1: rosie perez rosie Pre- i could only say rosa and i'm like i know it's not rosa but i couldn't yeah yeah she's great so good
0: Hmm. really wonderful she's got this like n- it's she's complaining throughout the movie but she's always justified <laughs> in what yeah. she's complaining about and the way she does it is so endearing somehow
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: um and so i really like that i did want to mention so the nude scene with her she felt pretty uncomfortable while they were filming not necessarily because of the nudity, but because she said she felt like the environment wasn't right. Mm. Um, and so she's so spike later apologized and they've uh, maintained friendship, but yeah, there's, there's um it wasn't great. The, the way that, that, that was done while, while they were filming. So mm-hmm. did want to mention that. So it's a bummer. Okay.
1: It's a yeah. bummer. Um, yeah she also notably was a fly girl um Mm. on in living color which is one of like uh in in the heyday of sketch comedy of the early 90s and living color was um uh it it was uh wayans uh one of the the, oh gosh wayans top papa wayans keenan ivory wayans um Mm. he was uh and living color was his, and they had this group of dancers. They were the fly girls, um, including like kirian Inaba, who is a um, judge on Dancing with the Stars, or Jennifer Lopez was a fly girl. Yeah. Like <laughs> so fun. Um, just anyway, so that that's just a fun, yeah. fun fun little extra added bonus for you. Yeah. Um, but all right. The dancing so good.
0: Yeah, it's great. I think our last sort of major character here is Smiley. Um, man with the stutter. Yes. Okay. I was like, Smiley. Sure. Yeah. Um, a lot of characters to keep track of.
1: A lot of characters to keep track of. Yeah. What do you think of Smiley?
0: I liked him. I was trying to suss out if there were was some disability beyond a stutter. I don't think there's... Ultimately meant to be because I was like, "Is this great the way that they're portraying him?" But I think it is just a stutter. He gets the so the the setup with the the picture of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and him hanging the the picture on the Wall of Fame at the end. There, I don't know if I just missed that the first time or just missed how. Good, the filmmaking is for that Mm. sequence that like ends this probably like 20 or 30 minute riot sequence Um, but he hangs the picture on the wall in this like smoldering building and there's this like behind his head you've got this like crown of fire the way it's shot and it's just really visually stunning, um. So, and everyone's sort of like nice to him for the most part. There's one point where Mookie's really trying to get somewhere, and he ends up being sort of mean to Smiley. And you're right, like, oh, be nice to Smiley. It's this this nice kid, you know.
1: Yeah, I think I, I, it's also that he's a fixture of the neighborhood, you know,
2: mm-hmm. he's yeah. just
1: there and he's, he kind of, he talks to himself or to whoever, and he's, he's just there. And I, 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 I don't want to diagnose him. I did think there was some sort of, of, of mental disability with him. And I think that also mm-hmm. is a reason why he's, he's, you know, both accepted as part of the, um, the, the, the community, but also a little bit protected by the people within the community um, yeah. regardless, I mean, everybody should be protected and respected and acknowledged and all that, but I think there was a little bit of like communal, um, they him.
0: him. yeah, yeah, which yeah, is they, good. They buy pictures from him to you know keep him afloat financially, that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they, uh, yeah, so ultimately, uh, we love Smiley. Yeah. yeah. Um. There and then beyond that, I mean, we've already talked about the three men on the corner as sort of more peripheral characters, but there are a ton of other peripheral characters as well. So you got Senior Love Daddy. You've got the whole crew with Martin Lawrence. It's really funny that yeah. Martin Lawrence is in this movie and what I assume is a pretty early role, uh, for him. Uh, you've got Mookie's sister Jade the scene with uh Frank Vincent uh Charlie in this movie so Frank Vincent's car gets uh soaked he's driving a convertible yeah, down the street so and good. <laughs> they've they turn the fire hose uh on this convertible and he jumps out and demands that the police make an arrest <laughs> um yeah kudos to To Frank Vincent and John Turturro for being game, for portraying some really despicable people uh, Mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, Same actor corner, Frank Vincent uh, from Goodfellas, also in this movie. So that's fun. Um, Love Goodfellas. Yeah, and he's great in Goodfellas too. Absolutely, it's just always fun when Frank Vincent shows up. You know, you're yeah. in for uh, you're in for a treat, for something good. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Um. So, anyone from the side characters that stood out to you as uh as fun?
2: Uh, no, I think you covered.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I Loved it. Yeah. Um, Mookie and Tina's baby's real cute. Yeah. I wonder what he's up to these days.
0: Yeah. I mean that's Star Power right there. Mm-hmm. Star in a a classic movie at a very young age.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um the little details as well in this movie, like the uh all of the businesses being non-black owned. So you've got this like Korean corner shop throughout the movie that's portrayed. And then there's this uh man who's selling icy is a Puerto Rican man who has like this this uh icy cart that he wheels down the street. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's interesting and seems to be perceptive. I don't know if it's trying to say anything in particular about uh it it just seems It stood out to me that all of the businesses portrayed, not just South, but all of the businesses aren't Black-owned businesses. Mm -hmm. And it's a topic of conversation for the three men on the corner as well, talking about the Korean corner store and, like, you talk about opening a store, but you would never do it, sort of thing. Right. It's
2: interesting. Yeah,
1: so interesting. We love it.
0: (laughs) Um, Can we get into this confrontation riot sequence that's sort of the cornerstone of the movie here yeah um the way this flows and you can the internal logic of it of this happens so this happens so this happens so this happens and the clarity of everything that happens of okay, Baganap's being arrested, so now he's being taken down the street. He's not going to be a part of the sequence anymore, but now Mookie's throwing this trash can through the window, and the, the way that you're shown how this unfolds is so riveting. It's amazing.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's just like, it's loud, and it's chaotic, and it builds, and it's... It, it's it's mm-hmm. it hits a point where you know it's gonna be bad if that makes sense like there's yeah. no turning back it's it 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 builds and builds mm-hmm. and builds and builds but the point of it to like dissolve peacefully wait is is gone mm-hmm. um it's so intense
0: yeah and the way it ebbs and flows of like your on edge, and then things explode, and Radio Rahim dies, and then it ebbs down again, but tension is still high, and then the riot happens, and so it's like these waves that come at you. Yeah, yeah, just, so just really good filmmaking. Um, I have some quotes from Spike. He got some pushback. Um, on particularly Mookie throwing the uh uh trash can through the window. Hmm. Um, and I thought the response from that to this was really really good. Um, so he's he's responding to this guy, uh, Joe Klein, who I'm I'm not familiar with, but he. He says in in Joe Klein's writing, I presume, you know, now again, there's no mention of the murder of Radio Rahim. For me, that was horrible to see a teenager choke to death. He thinks, Joe Klein, asshole, he thinks one of the stupidest, more self-destructive acts of violence he's ever witnessed in a film is when I throw a garbage can through a window. Now, does a window breathe? Does a window gasp for its last breath? I know the cops did the wrong thing, that's for sure. And what's sad is that they continue to do the wrong thing and nothing ever happens. For me, that's what the movie's about, you know, about human life and how in America, black life has become devalued. So, yeah, you've got this. He's... That's, I think, the central question of the movie Yeah. is... Does Mookie do the right thing by throwing the trash can through the window, um, and, uh, and maybe it's not a. I I think the movie's answer is yes. I don't think it's necessarily a question, right. Um Because the wrong thing would be to do nothing. Um, yeah, and so, like property damage isn't great but what's the alternative you know <laughs>
2: yeah well um, i think
1: i think it's funny we don't we don't try to be a political podcast yeah <laughs> i think your my politics are very clear um mm-hmm. but you also can't properly talk about art and movies without anyway mm-hmm. so to preface that i mean <laughs> black people are killed by the police at an exorbitantly higher rate per capita than white people. Like it, it's 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 always been that way. Now it's being filmed, now more people are paying attention. And and after so many injustices, after Rodney King, after George Floyd, after um Trayvon Martin, like after all of these things, you do see communities primarily communities of color, but also a- allies of any race are mad and they're angry mm-hmm. and they're like, well, if if our lives aren't being protected, I mean, yes, rioting is destructive and rioting is, mm-hmm. you know, not great, but also I the I I can't imagine as a white person the Just the 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 gut punch, it is constantly experiencing the people who say they care about you and are there to protect you, constantly murdering your people. Um mm-hmm. and I I that quote from Spike Lee got me, man. That just like yeah. does a window breathe. Like yeah. <laughs> talking about so when we see even now, when we see people riot. And then there's, of course, the politicized of, you know, who's planted in there rioting and making you know, all that crap. It, no, mm-hmm. so I mean, I'm not getting into that. But when we see mm-hmm. people riot, when we see people even looting, when we see people do these things, sure, it's not great. But mm-hmm. you're really going to focus on that over the person whose life was taken away, over the person who will never breathe again, over the families who will never hug their loved one again. Like, I, I don't know that that throwing the can is the right thing or the wrong thing. I don't think right and wrong are ever going to be agreed upon in this Mm. situation because someone was murdered by the people who were supposed to be protecting him. Um, Yeah. And that a holes like this Ezra kid, even Mm -hmm. focus on the, the, emotional release of the frustration of watching someone you love be murdered um yeah. by people in power and to say well he should have had his stuff together and not kind of thing through the window. No, I'm yeah. I'm getting mad. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think know.
0: that goes into this uh Roger Ebert uh I, I pulled a quote from his review. I think it's one of his very best reviews uh that he ever did um Mm -hmm. he loves this movie as well he says and he's responding to some of the response to the movie uh already because he attended sort of the festival where it premiered and heard the questions and stuff and he says of course it is confused of course it wavers between middle class values and street values Of course, it is not sure whether it believes in liberal pieties or militancy. Of course, some of the characters are sympathetic and others are hateful. And of course, some of the likable characters do bad things. Isn't that the way it is in America today? Mm. Anyone who walks into this film expecting answers is a dreamer or a fool. But anyone who leaves the movie with more intolerance than they walked in with wasn't paying attention. Mm. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I I love that Roger Ebert. Uh. Roger Ebert not always right, right but when he's right, he knows how to express it in a way that that really resonates. So
1: yeah, he did the right thing. hmm
0: um, See, see what I did there? Because because that's the, the movie. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You get this sort of coda as well with Mookie and Sal at the end of the movie. Mookie goes and uh, to get his last paycheck, essentially. Um, And they have this little coda of a conversation that's really interesting to me. Because it's not as cathartic as maybe you'd expect it to be. But you get a little bit more of each of their perspectives reflecting on what happened um in a way that I like
1: yeah i agree i think it's yeah i don't know
0: the and <laughs> yeah beautiful. i think importantly here and another thing i pulled from from spike's journal um about this conversation is And I think he he was toying with the idea of like Sal changing his perspective a bit in this ending monologue but he always knew that Mookie was going to sort of have his heels dug in and not apologize. Mm. Um, And when he's talking about like thinking through that, he says, I say the changes happen in Sal instead of Mookie, because I feel black people cannot be held responsible for racism. We are not in that position. We are and have been the victims. Um, So that's, I mean, that's the right choice for Mookie not to apologize at the end here. Go. Um, to go because he wants to get paid and he cares about money, mm-hmm. um, which is a a theme throughout the movie. Um, he's but, just trying
1: to survive without being yeah. murdered. I don't. I yeah. mean, yeah, he can he can just care about his money, and keep his head down. Because you're right, that's what mm-hmm. he's trying to do. He's trying to get by. He's trying to keep his head down, and re- reluctantly is forced into something that he does not want to be a part of.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and Sal ultimate I think Sal not apologizing either is probably like you get a little more of his perspective and you hear how you know the pizza being pizzeria being destroyed um really destroys him and you know Mookie says, Well, you're gonna get like insurance money to to cover it, and Sal's like, but it's not just about like loss of money like I was trying to build something here but I think what he fails to see is that it's what he was building has really become a symbol of racism by the end of this movie and so therefore cannot continue to exist um in this neighborhood. So and
1: even though like what he built the intention was not racist like he mm-hmm. might personally have some racist feelings um mm-hmm. but the what he built like yeah it wasn't out to get the neighborhood it was to be a part of the neighborhood he was that was his business mm-hmm. it was doing well um yeah but- it it had to go.
0: Yeah, I think it is ultimately like a a selfish thing for Sal. He's not looking to exploit necessarily, but he 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 finds his identity in being like a a pizzeria owner and yeah. someone Which with a fine. successful business. And
1: yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Like that's uh-huh. totally fine. I and mean, he could even like He could have even thought, "Well, hell, black people like pizza. I'm going to go in the black neighborhood Mm because because there's no other pizza place here, and I know I'll do well." Like that is, Mm -hmm. there is nothing wrong with someone doing that, Mm -hmm. Um, even if that person holds some antiquated and ultimately racist feelings towards the people who he knows Mm -hmm. will be his clientele. Yeah. 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 But that's Uh, not where you went wrong, Sal.
0: No. No. Uh. The and then the movie ends with these quotes from MLK and Malcolm X, um, which we've seen throughout the movie, and in, in sort of this picture, where which is apparently like the only picture of the two of them together. Mm. Um, and these ending quotes are contradictory. Um, one is a statement of nonviolence, one is a statement of basically violence when necessary. Um, and it, it really drives home like that. This is a movie that doesn't have answers. This is a movie with a really strong point of view and it's certain about some things, Mm -hmm. but it's not certain about solutions. Yeah. Um, And so that's really powerful uh, to me.
1: I agree. Uh, Tangent. So in your uh, K through 12 education, Mm -hmm. of which you what K through eight were homeschool. Yes. Nine and 10 were private Christian, 11, 12 were public. Mm -hmm. What were you taught about MLK and Malcolm X? Like, what was your experience in education around those two men and the civil rights movement?
0: Goodness, I can't remember. I mean, certainly, I don't remember anything positive being said about Malcolm X. Interesting. Um, Okay. But, yeah, MLK was sort of a presence, but maybe not as celebrated as I feel like he should have been.
1: Interesting. Okay. I was thinking about that because I... So my education was um, pre-K through eight private Montessori school, which was more or less hippie school. Mm -hmm. Um, And then nine through 12 um, was public Mm -hmm. high school in the state of Tennessee. But this is, you know, the uh, late aughts and Mm -hmm. um, pre-critical race theory, all that BS. Anyway, so I can't remember if this was – private hippie middle school or public high school. But mm-hmm. I remember like being taught the dichotomy between both of these men um, were striving for justice. Um, mm-hmm. you know, what what they wanted was good. I remember getting a lot more education about MLK. I remember getting the the, the you know, MLK was purely nonviolent and uh, Malcolm X was violence when necessary. And that's really all I ever got about Malcolm X was just like the as a companion to MLK and um, not companion, but kind of like the other side of the coin to MLK's type of um, his theory on on, on racial advancement. Um, I was just wondering what your experience is. And I have no idea. I do
0: remember being taught like. Nonviolence as a core part of like the 20th century history,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: particularly with Gandhi and MLK being focused, but mm. focuses. But I feel like sometimes the non, the focus on nonviolence is easy. Like sure. everyone can agree on that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and to not talk about the racism. Yeah. Um
1: when it's like nonviolence goes both ways. Like I can,
0: yeah. I will yeah. be
1: nonviolent as long as my oppressors aren't trying to murder me. Like <laughs> maybe that's yeah. too oversimplifying it, but um. Anyway, Brian and I are not the like people to go to for the 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 yeah. most poignant opinions on this. But I I was just wondering what your experience with that was. Um.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think I think more often than not if if Malcolm X he's just not talked about. Like people might know that he was a leader mm-hmm. within the movement yeah. but he's he's a, he's a footnote in the story of MLK mm-hmm. because like you said talking about nonviolence is much easier. Mm-hmm. It's palatable. Um even if you don't ag- acknowledge that we all need to be conducting ourselves with anti-racist type behavior and acknowledging the systemic oppressive nature of our country and society in general um mm-hmm. yeah I, I i i'm again i'm tangenting again mm-hmm. sorry
0: yeah no worries <laughs> well spike lee also has a very famous and very good movie uh by a pick of malcolm x so that's a good place to go if you Enjoyed this movie and want to learn more about it. You movie. know,
1: I actually haven't seen that, yeah. which is shocking based on it's the on our things list. I love. Yeah, that's yeah. We need to. What year is
0: that? I think it's like ooh ninety. It might be ninety two or ninety three. Yeah, because that's Denzel. Um, I mean, yeah, well, Denzel, Denzel just Zell. killed it
1: throughout the nineties. But yeah. it, it wouldn't have been much um, earlier than that.
0: Yeah, it's been on our watch list for a while. We should get to that soon.
1: Well, if it, you haven't done it in your movie years yet, so.
0: Well, I don't usually do rewatches for movie years. Oh, goodness yeah.
1: gracious. Okay. Yeah. Well, then maybe we should just watch that this week then.
0: Sounds good. Cool. Um, all right. A couple of odds and ends here before we wrap up with some final thoughts. A couple of filmmaking things I thought. So we talked about the looking directly into the camera. That's Love. just. Yeah. Used so well here. I've Most movies couldn't pull it off the way that this does but it's used sparingly but every time it's used is so good
1: i think Um, also again i want to go back to the like just monologues of racism from different groups mm -hmm. towards different groups i found that that particularly but every other time someone faced the camera they might have not been talking to a camera like they might have been talking to another character even though they're facing the camera.
0: Yeah, But it
1: felt like every time someone was facing the camera, it was when they were being just like brutally honest. Yeah. Like it was always when they were sharing deep feelings about something and whether or not it was like an acceptable Mm -hmm. feeling, whether or not it was just like pure racism or um, xenophobia or that, or if it was just like, I don't know. I thought that just like the way he used – Breaking the fourth wall to be so true in whatever they were saying. um, (laughs) True to their experience and what they believe. Not that the racist things they said were true. (laughs) But it was true that it was just, it was the honesty that each character (laughs) kind of brought to the screen. Um, I really liked that.
0: Yep. Definitely. Uh, Two really funny things with the mayor. Uh, There's (laughs) one part where he's talking to mother, sister, and there are a bunch of Dutch angles. And that's when the camera is, like, t- slightly askew. It looks sort of like you're leaning your head to one side.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: DeMayer leans with the Dutch angle. And he's <laughs> looking directly at the camera. So I think the Dutch angle is meant to be from, like, mother-sister's perspective. And he, like, leans because her head is leaning. It's really funny.
1: Oh, I thought <laughs> it would be really leaning because he's drunk and can't stand up straight.
0: I mean, it might be. Your <laughs> area
1: is better because yeah. mother-sister's probably like, um. <laughs> yep. <laughs> listen sir you know how you like cock your head to the side when yeah. you're like get real
0: yeah yeah and it's it's a little bit of a fourth wall break but in a in a fun way yeah um, and then he talks about playing baseball a long time ago and the player that he name checks has the funniest baseball player name I've ever heard it's mud cat bunch of bones <laughs> <laughs> it's just like this blink in your mouth like, oh, i played baseball with Mudcat, bunch of bones <laughs> it
1: sounds like that Keane and peel sketch with the uh <laughs> the football, football. all-stars oh, yeah I, so, love that one. I love but there's two of them right so good
0: yeah there are two of them east west college bowl yeah <laughs> i tried to get one of my uh fantasy football leagues they were taking suggestions for the name of the league and i i wanted to call it the east west college bowl but no one went for it
2: oh so,
1: sorry yeah.
0: it's okay uh
1: if you want to like draft me to your league just to be a ringer to accept all of your really good ideas
0: and then you'll it. immediately the leave the league
1: Leave? Yes. Immediately yeah. leave. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Immediately. I you said
1: lead. And I was no. like, no, no, no. No, no. <laughs> um,
0: okay. Oh, well, did
1: everybody know that Brian won his fantasy football league I this did. year? I did. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I won <laughs> some money and used it to pay excise tax for an old LLC that I had never paid the excise tax on back in the day. So
1: that's that's about <laughs> as sexy as me using my bonus check this year. For, um, because I need a crown put on my tooth. (laughs) Ooh, dental work, baby. I mean, yeah.
0: Being an adult, you know? It's like
1: responsible or whatever, but it's not sexy sometimes.
0: No, it
1: is not. It is not. Anyway, speaking of sexy,
0: any final thoughts on this movie?
1: (laughs) Um, I just really love this movie. Every time I watch it, I'm like, I should watch more Spike Lee. And then I don't because we have so many other things to watch, but I think we might mm-hmm. actually do it this time because I've committed to it in podcast form.
0: Yeah. Um, Spike Lee is an interesting, so he, he's one of those filmmakers, Ridley Scott's another one where the highs are like as high as a filmmaker gets and then the lows can be sort of pretty low.
1: Is a high um, for Ridley Scott Blade Runner?
0: Um, I'd say Alien is his best for me, but others would say Blade Runner, yes.
1: Interesting. You guys can't see my face of, like, confusion and disgust, but... um, (laughs) Thelma and
0: Louise. Little Thelma and Louise. Little, uh, uh, Gladiator.
1: Didn't Ridley Scott do something this year?
0: He did. Uh, Napoleon. Oh, yeah, Which we can catch up on soon, yeah.
1: Eh. I mean
0: i'll that, catch up on it soon. If well it's like worry.
1: i like joaquin phoenix i like war biopics like I, the, everything it's about vanessa it has got vanessa kirby in it too i love vanessa yeah, kirby like i just but in. it's like i didn't hear about it until it was already in theaters mm. I heard, and i'm not like on film twitter but like i'm also not a recluse i'm not under a rock You're and not. so f- it felt very weird to be like wait, this very intense, very long, probably important thing came out and it's out and I, what? Yeah. Am I being punked? What?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, we'll watch some more some more Spike Lee. There's some, some quite good stuff. Um, Malcolm X is fantastic. I think Bamboozled is fantastic. I'm not sure that you would love it it's basically him riffing on network but satirizing uh uh um well it's it's got a lot of similarities to american fiction actually which we recently so watched
1: so good and yeah the, after what, sitting on it yeah. i love it even more
0: yeah i loved that movie too bamboozled is like tar black satire though so um yeah. It's, is it smart uh,
1: satire or like space balls?
0: It's smart, but <laughs> it isn't pulling any punches. American fiction, I mean it, it mixes in drama and is uh, is more just like trying to be f- it's not as mean. It's not as mean as bamboozled ah, that's is what you mean by smart yeah.
1: satire. Okay. Yeah.
0: Because again, but it's it's riffing balls. on network, it's more in that vein, uh bamboozled is. Okay. Yeah. Um, All
2: right. No, okay. I don't know.
0: I don't know if you would love that. It. Um, but there's a, there's other Spike Lee stuff that you would love. I mean, we've seen uh, back Black Black Klansmen. We've mm-hmm. seen Five Bloods. Um, so and that's what most, he finally won his Oscar for,
1: right? With Five stuff. Bloods.
0: Black Klansmen. He won uh, Best Original Screenplay.
1: I yeah. liked Black Klansmen. I don't know if it's just because yeah. I like Adam Driver and um, Topher Grace. Uh, oh, Black
0: Klansman great. Yeah, I thought
1: it was so great. Um, To mm-hmm. Topher Grace was a for- formative actor mm-hmm. in in just like my development of what I think is attractive in a man.
2: <laughs>
1: um, that's just I watched a lot of that '70s show, and like a like a like a like a tall, skinny nerd, you know, it really gets me. Yeah. Um, so it's not at all surprising that I ended up with you, my love.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um. If if you uh, have not seen this listener, look up uh, Spike Lee's reaction to Green Book's win because that was the same year that he won for Black Klansman. It's um, phenomenal. It's, it's so, so good. funny because he's sort of drunk, but it he still has the presence of mind to <laughs> respond in a very funny way. Oh, uh, awesome. So.
1: That also did you watch the um what just happened? The Golden Globes, the Emmys?
0: Uh Emmys happened more recently.
1: One of them, I think it was the Golden Globes, though. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So um <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence is nominated for No Hard Feelings, which I actually watched. It was cute, mm-hmm. but like she's up against like Margot Robbie and all, you know, um yep. like Emma every, Stone. yeah, Emma Stone and, and everything and so you know she's being announced and it's it, it then it's like and the award goes to and it has like all six act- actresses on screen to see their live reaction and everyone's mm-hmm. looking like beautiful and like respectful and um, uh, she turns directly to the camera <laughs> And she mouths, if I don't win, I'm going home.
2: <laughs> and
1: it's like Jennifer, she knows she's not gonna win. Like she yep. and she's okay. Like she's she's fine. <laughs> but yep. it's just like this like funny, just like taking it in stride. I didn't actually see her reaction after winning. I didn't watch it. This is just from yep. anyway. But I um uh oh, so good. I thought that was like the funniest thing of all this award season so far. So
0: yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh no uh you, did you see uh, Paul Giamatti going viral for after he won um, his Golden Globe? He went to In-N-Out and just ordered two burgers with no fries.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't. Okay. I don't. I I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about Paul Giamatti. <laughs> I don't know. No, he's great. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's, he's an incredible actor um i he he excels in a certain type of role like i have nothing against him i just don't know how to feel about him um also remember that movie big fat liar with frankie muniz
0: i do not no that's what he should have won his award for maybe i do
1: He gets dipped in like blue paint or something. It was like a Nickelodeon Studios movie. Anyway, also Paul Giamatti in that uh, Brian Wilson biopic, Love and Mercy. He was
0: Mm, terrifyingly
1: great in that. Paul Giamatti. Anyway.
0: Paul Giamatti. um, It's time for our 2001 A Space Odyssey fact. Um, Yeah. I was noticing when I rewatched how much it isolates the senses. So you're given like visuals with no sound, sound with no visuals. Um, Sometimes it also you does smell it. things. <laughs> you, do, you do not smell things. I'm, I'm sure if Kubrick had had that as available as an object. Have, if yeah. you yeah. It, like uh,
1: pumped gas in through the movie theater <laughs> but air vents?
0: Uh, the, the rumble seats. If those had been a thing back then, he probably would have <laughs> used them. Um, the And then it also does it with sound effects and music. Where usually you're hearing one or the other. But then there are some times when you get like all three combined, where like one of the one of the things I noticed was uh, the apes are making a lot of noise when they come across the monolith, and you get some really loud, triumphant music at that same time, and then you are also seeing a lot of action going on, and so the movie uses the isolation to like crescendo to certain moments where it combines them for like maximum effect. And so I liked that. My, my recent rewatch.
1: Okay. All right. How many times do you think you'll rewatch this before we finally watch it again?
0: Um, I think that is the only time. So I watched it to get more facts right around when we were, uh, uh, maybe that was like six movies ago. So right around halfway through. I think that'll be the only time I rewatch it. I don't think I would get as many facts if I rewatched it again. So I'll just uh, muddle through and find a way to get to 99. That's my plan without rewatching. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I will rewatch it for podcasting on it though. And it's going to be great.
1: It is going to be great.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, If you're new to this pod... You can subscribe to it using your platform of choice. You can rate us five stars um, and also other things, but please rate us five stars. Um, And you can follow us on on various platforms. So I'm primarily on Blue Sky and Letterboxd. I'm also on Twitter if you'd like to keep up with. I really just uh, post when we release episodes, but it's a way to keep up with that. And Hannah, where can you be found?
1: Um, if you take a trash can <laughs> and you throw it through a pizzeria, <laughs> you will not find me. I'm not okay. there, so not there, but I might be there if you don't take a trash can and throw it through a pizzeria.
2: <laughs> that
0: I started a possibility, yeah. I
1: started it and then I was like, mm, I don't want to incite violence
0: for no reason. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, probably not a good, not a good. Especially Good when it's to go. it's
1: gonna be yeah it's gonna be canonized in a
2: <laughs>
1: in a podcast. Um. Anyway, yeah. Don't. Um...
0: I'm sure some yeah some prosecutor is gonna cut that clip out of the podcast and and uh, the next time a trash can's thrown through a window, they're gonna charge you with inciting violence through mm-hmm. our podcast. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Y'all. Uh. Speaking of podcasts and the ridiculousness of using someone's art against them. Um, I just finished a podcast series called Louder Than a Riot. It's an NPR one um, that was in like 2020 and 2023. They had two different seasons. Anyway, the first season talks about um, uh, rappers' lyrics being used to uh, in murder trials. It's very fascinating. Anyway, mm-hmm. it shouldn't happen, but it does.
0: It is crazy. Yeah. Louder
1: Than a Riot. Really well done. Wish it yeah. would come back. Shame on NPR for canceling it. That's all I got to say.
0: Yeah. Actually, I have a lot to say, but
1: that's all I got to say about that.
0: I love that. All right. Our next movie is going to be Imitation of Life, a Douglas Cirque melodrama from classic old Hollywood. So I'm mm. excited to watch that one uh unfortunately not currently streaming anywhere we're gonna get a copy from our local library shout out we library
1: yeah,
0: we love our library hannah you've been renting some books from the library recently i
1: have and wouldn't you know i got a little hold happy and now i have seven books that are due back in three weeks yeah And but it, it's funny as i went to we went to a little family trip to the library with the kids and uh checked out the kids books on brian's account and the librarian said, well, you have quite a lot of DVDs on hold at uh, the, the the downtown branch of our local library where Brian usually gets his. We were just at our neighborhood. Yeah. But I liked quite a few DVDs. I don't know what quite a few means, yep. but.
0: How I many is it? Do you the know? Limit. They limit you to 15 at a time. <laughs> I think I'm getting 15. <laughs>
1: so that's like six so... days for you worth of movies.
0: <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll be good. I am. So in concurrence with this, those perhaps who follow me on Blue Sky or Letterboxd might know that I'm doing this thing called the Movie Years Project where I go... I use a random number generator to pick a year between 1900 and today, basically, then watch at least five movies from that year
2: Mm -hmm. before
0: moving on to the next one. I am halfway through the movie years project now, but library is a great resource about a year ago, maybe less. Yeah. It was after that we started the podcast for sure. Yeah. Um, I've become sort of a ravenous devourer of, uh, of movies and so here's the so question i do want to wrap we... up once i well... wrap up the movie years project i want to slow down my pace quite a bit
1: but but here's my question do you think you'll finish the movie years podcast or do you think you and i will finish the full sight and sound 100 first
0: i don't know it's going to be pretty close i'd say
1: i the right you're going i think you'll do the movie years first especially since i'm reading more so you don't have you're not held back by me wanting to watch tv <laughs> with you
0: <laughs> that's fair yeah. yeah. Um. So, more more movie watching time for me, I guess. And my crippling insomnia is also great for watching movies too.
2: Mm-hmm. It's gonna be great. So anyway,
0: but what I've learned, I'm halfway through the movie years project now, and what I've learned is that I'm a bit of a curmudgeon because my I would it surprise you, Hannah, to learn that I have meticulously documented my movie years project in a spreadsheet.
2: Aww, <laughs> uh, very but
0: cute. I. I write down the average l- rating on Letterbox and then my own rating. And when you average them out, I'm like 0.3 or 0.4 points behind the average rating for those movies. Um, so, yeah, I apparently am more critical of movies than the average person. So I'm not surprised there. by that. Yeah. So, yeah, in my defense, I will say I'm not watching a lot of terrible movies that maybe would bump the rankings for those really good movies up a bit, whereas like, oh, yeah, my, you know, one and a half and two star movies that I really hate. And so this one, yeah, I'll give it four stars instead of three and a half stars or whatever.
1: So um, how many stars did you give to bring it on?
0: Um, I don't know off the top of my head. I don't think it was more than like two and a half.
1: Well, you know, people are allowed to be wrong.
0: Yeah. Sometimes the star rating is not necessarily indicative of how much I enjoyed Uh, it either. That's fair. Yeah.
1: How many stars did you give? We've also been talking about like the 90s Oscar bait. So, how many (laughs) stars did you give like Dead Poet Society and Shawshank Redemption?
0: Oh, Shawshank was really low. I, uh, <laughs> and I, I think people will like fight a, you on that. A, star I mean, a ha- they have. Yeah, I think
1: that Shawshank is like some people's. Um. Um. Mm-hmm. Mm, okay, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a bold statement. Are you ready? I'm ready. I think Shawshank is to 90s cinephiles what Anchorman was to millennial
0: dudes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's
1: like kind of your personality.
0: Yeah, you might not quote
1: it religiously like mm we, you and I do with Anchorman, but like it, it's like it's it's an an identity movie, and I think it's for a lot of people, especially like our age ish, it might have been one of the first or more prominent like prestige type movies they watched. Yes, um, and it was so, it was like the pinnacle of what it was. And what cinema was Mm -hmm. on more of like a that where prestige intersects with um, popularism within a movie of the 90s. So I get why people have such high opinions, but it's not that good of a movie.
0: Yeah, that sort of thing to me, the thing that it's trying to do and for me does not succeed in doing. It's a tight wire app of how do you you be uh, hopeful without being trite?
1: And mm. to
0: me, it was too trite, too a little pandering. Yeah.
1: yeah, a little pandering.
0: Um, so um, that was me. What was the other one you asked me on?
1: Uh, uh Dead Poet Society.
0: Yeah, I thought that was all right. I think that was like a three-year, three and a half star for me. Okay. Yeah, I thought that one was was better at what it was trying to do. But I get why you included it there in the sort of uh, um, yeah. I felt in better hands for that one of like yeah this is like an inspiring or hopeful story but it it felt more real to me
1: yeah i mean pandering well i think also like there have been a lot of lesser movies doing the inspirational offbeat teacher thing
0: yeah yeah
1: um oh gosh what's the freedom riders that hillary swank one which has a nice little extra added dose of white savior in it Mm. um but you know like the inspiring teacher thing and then of course that makes you think of the anti-inspiring teacher of the holdovers which was phenomenal Mm -hmm. so like there's there that's definitely its own thing too but i think you know sometimes there's the original and then there's so many like remakes that then make the original kind of cheesy yep but really it's just the, I don't know. I mean, I know there have been like, like to sir with love, which is another inspirational teacher one, which have you seen that? I have not. It's from the sixties. Hmm. It's actually quite wonderful. We should watch it. Um, I'll mm-hmm. find out what year it is. Yeah. And if you have, well, let me just look it up right now. Yeah. Wow. Are we still recording?
0: We are. Yeah. yeah I cool. think to your point, if I'd have come to Shawshank Redemption, perhaps earlier in my movie watching, uh, I would have responded to it more. Um, but I've, I'm sort of tired of movies like that now. Maybe, perhaps that's fair. Um, um
1: to serve with love is 67. Have you seen done 67 yet? I don't know. It's also Sidney Poitier. I'm surprised you haven't seen this, but hmm. anyway, um,
2: yeah, yeah, it's got anyway. that great
1: song that won a Grammy. It's a good, uh-huh. good movie. It's probably pretty cheesy. It's been like at least a decade since I've seen it. So, yeah, you know? You know? Anyway.
0: All right. Well, that's it for today. Have a great <laughs> week. We'll see you next week for Imitation of Life.
1: Love you. Bye.